Southwinds family and all of our guests, I want to welcome you to our online service today. I hope you've already experienced God's presence as we have worshiped and listened to God's word read. And weren't our kids great? Uh, Thank you, kids, for helping uh, to lead us today. We are continuing to seek out ways that we can serve our neighbors. You've already heard about some of those, and I'm excited to tell you that over 60 people uh, already have signed up for our blood drive this coming week. There's room for more, and we encourage you to participate if you can. We've also taken on a challenge to sew 150 masks for nurses at Sutter Hospital in Tracy. And if you have that skill, please let us know. We welcome you uh, to join in. As we continue journeying day by day deeper into this unprecedented time of the coronavirus crisis, so much is uncertain. And that's why it's so important for us to keep focusing our attention on Jesus, the one that we worship. And that's what we're doing right now as we continue this series. We're in week four of a seven-week series exploring seven statements that Jesus made about himself in John's gospel. And as I've been telling you, each one of these statements makes astounding claims because in each one, Jesus is telling us in different ways that he is God. That's what he was saying when he said, I am the bread of life. That's what he was saying when he said, I am the light of the world. And that's what we heard him say last week when he said, I am the gate for the sheep. In these verses we're about to read, Jesus makes another amazing claim about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he is again telling us, I am God. I want you to hear him today. I want you to listen carefully to his words. I want you to let his words call you into worship. Let's begin in verse 10 of John 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What is he telling us? We're going to walk our way through these verses. And as we do, we're going to see three ways Jesus is our good shepherd. And then I'm going to show you two ways that his sheep can respond to him. What does it mean to be the good shepherd? Look again at John 10, verse 10. This very familiar verse. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This verse frames what this entire passage is about, what Jesus is about. And it's telling us Jesus is a life giver. 
That's why he came, to give life. And Jesus wants to give you life, life to the full, life abundant. I think sometimes we read this verse and we think it's about having a good life, about experiencing good things now in this world. But fundamentally, what Jesus is talking about here is eternal life. He's talking about being saved. He's talking about a quality of life that is real and true, life that cannot be taken away. It's from this promise, this promise of eternal life, that we can today know true life, real life. This is a word of truth that is for us right now. This coronavirus pandemic is about death. It's about fear. It's about uncertainty. It steals and it kills and destroys. Jesus talks in this verse about the thief, and he he talked in verse 8 about thieves and robbers. And for the people who were listening to him, he was referring primarily to the religious authorities of that day. For us, this refers to anyone or anything that we look to for life apart from God. Anyone or anything that we depend on. You see, those people and those things will not bring life. They will only, in the end, steal life from you. They will only kill and destroy. We must not look to them for real life. In other words, don't depend on anyone or anything besides Jesus. And you may be needing to cling to this really hard right now. We need to know as we go through this unprecedented season of the coronavirus uh, crisis that Jesus has come, and he's come to give life, and he's come to give life to the full. You may be anxious right now about getting sick. Remember that Jesus is your good shepherd, and he has come to give you life. You may have lost your job, or maybe your job's in jeopardy. Remember that Jesus is your good shepherd and that he has come to give you life. Maybe you're going through a season of loss, maybe a season of failure. Maybe life for you right now is very hard and and things are just not making any sense. Maybe you're numb right now. You need to hear these words. Jesus has come to give you life. I I think this would be a, a good prayer for you to pray during these days. Jesus You said you've come to give me life, life to the full. I believe you, Jesus. You're a life giver. You're my good shepherd. I'm going to trust you. Do you need to pray that prayer? Do you need to start praying it today and keep praying it in the days ahead? You see, this is what Jesus is saying in in this passage. He's telling us, here's how I will bring you life. Here's how I will be your good shepherd. So let me show you those three ways that Jesus is our good shepherd. And then two quick ways we'll look at at the end that we can respond to him as our shepherd. Here's the first way. Uh, This passage teaches us that the good shepherd knows everything about me. Everything. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Question. How well does the Father know Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us he has infinitely intimate knowledge. First and second members of the Trinity, eternally coexisting, Jesus and the Father, they've they've dwelled together in perfect, infinite love for all eternity. And Jesus says he knows the sheep 
in the same way. In verse 3, as we looked last week, Jesus says that he calls his sheep by name. That means he knows your name. He knows you. Did you know that sheep is the most common image the Bible uses to describe us? It's used over 200 times. The, The word lamb is used 198 times. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself, why are we referred to as sheep? I mean, why not a stallion or a hawk? or a tiger, like a powerful, fast, majestic animal? Why are we referred to as a fluffy vegetarian quadruped? (laughs) An animal so gentle that when you can't sleep, we say, count sheep. We don't say, count tigers or count hawks. I mean, why sheep? Maybe you know this, but sheep are utterly helpless utterly dependent creatures without a shepherd. Do you know there is no such thing as a wild sheep? Most animals who run to the wild, like, you know, horses or pigs or cats, when they, when they run, they'll end up doing one or, or two things. They'll, they'll run away and stay, or, or they'll come back home. But sheep, they end up just getting lost in the middle. They just die. And this is also why you don't hunt for sheep. I mean, <laughs> Come on, that's not a sport. It's also the reason why, maybe you've noticed this too, there are no sheep in the circus because sheep aren't smart enough to learn tricks. They're helpless. And this is what Jesus is communicating to us. He's saying, spiritually, we are helpless without a shepherd. We are spiritually dependent. We are clueless. We're absolutely unaware. And Jesus says, I know you, but you don't. You don't know yourself. Why? Well, it's because of your sheepness. (laughs) That's actually a word. I looked it up. One of the primary features of our sheepness is we don't realize how wicked and lost that we are. We we like to think that we make mistakes. Sometimes we will admit at times, you know, we, we sin. But we tend to think that we do enough to balance out our wickedness. And we're, we're somewhere in the middle. That's how we see ourselves. We know we're not perfect. We're not saints, but we're not the worst. We've been talking a lot these days about flattening the curve. And this, of course, refers to the, the bell curve that measures the uh, coming coronavirus infections. And we're, we're sheltering in place. We're trying to slow it all down, bring that curve down. But I want to say to you, we, we all sort of have a Let's call it a spiritual bell curve in our minds. It's this bell curve of good and evil, kind of like this. Most of us, we we see ourselves on this curve as somewhere in the middle. We, we, We think that there's like a very small select group of people on the good side. You know, real spiritual giants like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. And we don't know how they got that way. Maybe they were born like that, but they're famous. And these people, they're few and far between. And then we we think there's other people on the other side of the curve, like dictators, genocidal maniacs, serial killers. You know, they're the epitome of evil. But, But thank God there's only a few of them. We think, though, that the majority of us, well, we're pretty okay. We're we're not saints, but we're not evil. We're somewhere in the middle. But I want to tell you, the Bible knows nothing of a spiritual bell curve like that. In fact, this is what the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. 
As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. How can one of the most godly people who's ever lived talk like that? I mean, is this false humility? Is Paul using hyperbole? No. Paul doesn't believe in a spiritual bell curve. Paul believes he's a sheep. See, he knows his sheepness. In fact, the reality is the true diagram would look more like this. You can divide the world up into two types of people, good and evil. And on this chart, there's only one person who is good, and that's the good shepherd, Jesus. And the rest of us are simply sheep, desperately sinful, desperately lost, desperately in need of Jesus. Sufjan Stevens, the indie rock star, has a song called John Wayne Gacy Jr. And if you know the song and you know that name, this is a song about a serial killer. Uh, Decades ago, Gacy uh, killed 33 people, mostly children. He hid them under the floorboards of his house. And Stephen sings this song about the serial killer. And the last lines of the song are haunting. He, He says of himself, And in my best behavior... I am really just like him. Look beneath my floorboards for the secrets I have hid. Everybody has floorboards. Everybody has secrets. You have secrets. I have secrets. We all have the capacity to do awful things, and that's why we need a shepherd. C.S. Lewis once said, a moderately bad man knows he's not very good, but a thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. He asked Abraham Lincoln, are you a bad man? And he says, really bad. Ask Hitler, are you a bad man? And he says, not really. See, we don't know how lost we are, yet Jesus knows everything about us. He knows us completely. And Jesus comes to us now and he says, I know who you are. I know what you've done and I'm still your shepherd. I have good news and bad news. Bad news first, okay? The bad news is I am far more wicked than I realize. And so are you. That's bad news. But here's good news. Jesus knows all about me. And he knows all about you. And he loves us anyway because he's a good shepherd. Here's a second way that Jesus is a good shepherd to us. You can write this down if you're taking notes. The the good shepherd gives everything to me. Verses 11 through 13 say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The the man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, Jesus here contrasts himself with a hired hand, and he talks about 
a person who's hired to watch the sheep, who's not the shepherd. They're just there for the money. It's just a job. And so if danger approaches, if a wolf attacks, he runs. But Jesus says, not me. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life. If you read this passage carefully, you might notice that five times in these verses, Jesus says, I lay down my life. And I want to point out to you as you look at this passage again and again that this is the heart. This is the heart of what it means to be the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives everything to us. And the shepherd who gives life is so very good, (laughs) so very good, that he gives up his own life. That's what makes him good. He gives up his own life so that his sheep may live. Jesus is saying here, I love my sheep so much that when the wolves come, I don't just protect. I become a sheep myself. I become the lamb myself. You say, well, where do we see this? Well, it's right there in that phrase, for the sheep. The word for is kind of generic in English, but in the Greek, it's the preposition pair, and it means in the place of or as a substitute. And what Jesus is saying here is, I lay down my life for the sheep, and I do that by becoming a sheep. I take the sheep's place. That's what Isaiah 53, 7 prophesied when it prophesied about the Messiah. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent so he did not open his mouth. Jesus became a lamb for us. What's happening here? Well, friends, this is the picture of the great substitution. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you study this verse, there are two things like miraculously happening at the same time. First half of this verse says Jesus was made sin. Have you ever read that and wondered, what does that mean? What's being said here? In in what sense was Jesus made sin? Now, it's not that on the cross, Jesus became a sinner. 1 Peter 1.19 says that he was a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus was made sin In one sense only, on the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed every sin ever committed by every single person who would ever believe, even though he had never committed a single sin. In short, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life. Think about all the sins that you've committed. I know it's hard because we are sheep. We're we're full of our sheepness. But just think of all the sins you've committed this past week. God treated Jesus as if he had committed them all. But that's not all that's being said. Second part of this verse says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, And this is the other side of substitution. Jesus lived his entire life without sin. He was perfect. He lived a life full of righteousness Because of that, now his righteousness can be credited to us. You see, here's what the doctrine of substitution means. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived your life so that now he could treat you 
as if you had lived his fully righteous life. And the implication is that his sacrifice was far more costly than we will ever know. The good shepherd gives everything for me. He gives everything for you. And amazingly, as we read in this passage, amazingly, he wants to do this. That's the third way Jesus is our good shepherd. The good shepherd loves me freely. Verse 18, John 10 says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. I think sometimes people might read something like this and say, well, that's kind of nice, but you know, there, there's a lot of people that uh, give their lives. You know, there's many cases of voluntary deaths in this world. I mean, even right now, we, we know this. There are some doctors and medical personnel that are putting themselves in danger to treat people suffering from coronavirus. And we also know, we, we also know that, that some of them will likely pay the ultimate price. Throughout history, many people First responders, like police officers, firefighters, they have given their lives to protect others. So, so what makes Jesus' death so unique? Well, the difference is here. For all the rest of us, maybe we can choose the circumstances of how we die, but we do not get to choose if we're going to die. That's not an option. We all eventually die And it's not if we die, it's when, and it's how we die. That's what we face because death is an inevitable certainty for all of us, except for Jesus. Why? Well, the truth is Jesus didn't have to die at all. Death never had any authority over him. Eternal life is what he already had, what he'd always had from eternity past. So therefore, the reality is Jesus' death is the only true, purely voluntary death ever. Jesus says again, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And we look at that and we think about what happens as he is crucified. And it seems to not make sense because like everyone is taking his life, it seems. What about Judas who betrays him? What about the mob in the garden? What about King Herod? What about Pilate? What about the crowd that shouted crucify him? What about the soldiers nailing his hands and his feet to the cross? What does no one takes it from me mean? Jesus, he's saying that at every point where it looks like someone has me cornered, I'm not cornered. At every moment where it looks like the soldiers are making me weak, I'm not weak. No one forced me to die for you, he says. I chose to die for you. I'm not weak. I'm strong. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And this means that every step of Calvary was chosen and embraced and welcomed. Calvary, the cross, could have been avoided with a snap of Jesus' finger. But Hebrews 12 tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember the story how the mob came after him and finally Judas kisses him on the cheek. You remember what Peter does? He starts flailing with a sword and he cuts off a servant's ear. It's kind of comical when you think about this. Peter wasn't aiming to cut off anybody's ear. But Jesus says to Peter, 
This is Matthew 26, verses 52 and 53. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus is saying, Peter, stop. No one is taking my life from me. I'm in charge here. And Peter, right now you need to know right outside those gates are thousands and thousands of angels. They're all at my disposal. I lay my life down of my own accord. And then Jesus calmly turns to the man whose ear has just been cut off and he puts it back on. He heals him. And then he says something amazing to the mob. This is Luke 22, verse 53. Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus was saying, you know, all week I've been teaching in Jerusalem and the reason why you haven't touched me, I mean, you had the people to do it. I'm just a rabbi. I don't have any weapons. The reason you didn't arrest me, why you didn't touch me is because I didn't let you. The hour was not yours. But this hour, I give it to you. Not one hour before, not one hour later, but this hour I give to you. Do you know what this means? What could have bound the limbs of the maker of the universe to the cross? What would be strong enough to hold down the arms of the one who created the universe with the word of his power. Nails, chains, Roman soldiers. No, nothing but his love for you. Nothing but his commitment to be the good shepherd, loving sheep, full of sheepness. And friends, this is grace. This is grace. What does it mean to have a good shepherd? Well, among other things, it means that I am far more loved than I could ever realize. And the truth be told, just like you, I've only given God countless reasons to reject me in my life. But here's the good news. None of them have convinced him to do that. I haven't been able to stop him from loving me. He continues to love me the same. And I know if you were here, I would hear some amens. I would hear some praise gods right now. So if these things are true, what's the response of the sheep? How should we respond to this shepherd who is so very good? Two things. First of all, his sheep follow him in trust. See, the trouble with lost sheep is first, when they get lost, they don't know that they're lost. I just, they don't know. They don't know. But when they're finally found, have you noticed this about yourself? When they're finally found, they often try to get lost again. They run away. Uh, when it's sheep we're talking about, sometimes the shepherd has to tackle them. Sometimes the shepherd has to bind their hind legs and carry them. And in fact, this is going to surprise you, but there were times in Jesus' day when a sheep that was really rebellious and really stubborn that kept running away, sometimes the shepherd had to break that sheep's leg. We hear that, we think, why would he ever do that? Well, the answer was simply to save the sheep's life. 
to keep the sheep from wandering away again and like walking off a cliff or walking right into the mouth of a a predator to keep the sheep from death. Remember that picture of the shepherd in, in Luke 15, the shepherd that leaves the 99 behind and goes after the one. He comes back with the sheep on his shoulders. Have you ever asked yourself why? I mean, was the sheep tired? Why was he holding the sheep on his shoulders? And the answer is because sheep are stubborn. They fight. They resist. In our sheepness, see, sometimes the the kind of treatment that God gives us under his good shepherding and kindness and sovereignty, sometimes that treatment feels kind of rough to us. Sometimes we'll find ourselves asking, God, why are you doing this? Why are you tying me down? I feel restricted. God, this hurts. Why, God, are you doing this to me? Sometimes the most loving thing that a shepherd can do, the sheep are just not going to understand. Why? Because we're sheep. We're full of sheepness. And we keep asking God why. We, we won't understand. And at those times, this is why it's so important that we understand the good shepherd. At those times, you'll have to remember what the good shepherd says. You'll have to come back to John 10, verse 10, and see him saying, I am the good shepherd, and I have come to give you life, life to the full. You need to be reminded that Jesus is telling you, I'm not taking life away from you. I am giving life to you. I heard a dad tell a story recently about his six-year-old son who's on the autism spectrum. And his birthday came, and he wanted to do something nice for his son. And so he, he took his son to a toy store, and he told him he could have anything he wanted in the store. He said, sky's the limit, son. Anything you want at all, as long as the sky looks like $30. <laughs> well, his son was so happy. He said, thank you, Daddy. And he ran Uh, through the store. He started going down the aisles, up and down the aisles. He was looking for a toy, but he couldn't decide. His dad made suggestions, but he still couldn't make a decision. He ended up, the dad said, looking for hours. The dad was getting very tired. He ended up saying, just pick something, anything. I don't care. He said, finally, his son came back to him and he asked, did you pick something? And his son said, no, daddy. I want you to pick. He said, why? And this dad's six-year-old son said, because, Daddy, you always make good choices for me. You pick. This dad said that in an instant, that $30 limit went up to $300. He didn't care. Anything you want, son, he was going to buy it. Do you see, this is what we do. This is what we do when we trust the Father. Can you tell your heavenly Father today, Abba, you choose for me. You always make good choices. The good shepherd always makes good choices. And so sheep, the way we respond to the good shepherd is we follow him in trust because we believe that when he says he's come to give us life, life to the full, that's what he is doing. Second thing that we can do to respond to the good shepherd is is this. His sheep follow him in his flock. 
Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, Jesus here is talking not about just individual sheep, but the flock. And he's talking specifically to Jewish people here, reminding them that one day God is going to join Gentiles into the flock together. They're going to make one big, beautiful flock. And what Jesus says here when he says this, he's actually, he has us in his mind. You and I are in his mind. See, everyone who knows Jesus is a sheep who is part of Jesus' flock. And Jesus started gathering that flock at the day of Pentecost, and he's been calling sheep together from all sorts of sheep pens all around the world for 2,000 years now. And here's the word of application to you today. You need to be in a flock. See, in our culture, we sometimes don't get that. We are so fiercely individualistic. And one of the doctrines of Western culture has impressed on us is this lie that says we can do it alone. This lie that says alone is okay. This lie that tells people who profess Christ that the flock is just kind of a nice option. So many people, they want Jesus to be their shepherd, but they don't want to be a part of a flock. They, they, they think, why do I need a flock? Well, I want to tell you the shortest answer that I can give you to that question is Jesus says you do. Jesus thinks you need a flock. Jesus never saves a sheep so the sheep can just roam around by itself. I mean, what does he do? Every time he saves and rescues a sheep, he brings them into the sheep pen, into the fold. He brings them to the flock. Why? Because it's in the flock where you are safe. See, sheep on their own are always in danger. We were made for this flock. We were made for community. And I want to tell you, Southlands, I am praying for you. And one of the things that I am praying that this coronavirus crisis will bring about in your lives is an increased commitment and hunger for community. You know, the truth is, some of us, we take gathering, gathering with God's people so casually. We, we think we can make it when we want it, take it when we want it, this gathering, this community. We can leave it when we feel like we don't want it. And as a result, some of us live spiritually impoverished lives. And some of you are experiencing pain right now. Pain you don't need to experience right now because you have not built the habit of community deeply and strongly into your life. You don't have the spiritual strength that you could have right now, that you need right now, because you've never been regularly connecting like you should with other believers, experiencing community, experiencing the full life that the Good Shepherd came to give you. You know, the, the, the coronavirus crisis is forcing us to be a part, and I am praying that when it ends, we will realize in a fresh way our deep need for each other, and I'm praying that we'll never be the same again, that we will spend the rest of our lives gathering and feeding with the flock, finding the strength and the wisdom that we all need within the flock. Not too long ago, I heard a pastor tell a story. And he pastors a very large church, and, and like most pastors, he, he meets a lot of people, and so he's always having to work to remember names, but there are so many names, you never catch up, it seems. And, and one Sunday, he was in between services. He was out in the lobby talking to people, and he saw this young woman starting to approach, and 
He remembered that he had met her several months before and he immediately thought, I won't be able to remember her name. But he was trying. And, and he said, it was suddenly like, like God sent a name missile into my brain and, and it was Sarah. And he said, I, I just said hi and Sarah. It's like it just came out of my mouth before I could stop it. And, and then he found himself thinking, I hope that's the right name. When he said Sarah, the young woman stopped dead in her tracks and her countenance changed. At first, he thought he had gotten it wrong. But then she began to cry. And he realized that Sarah was her name. Sarah told him, I've been thinking about taking my own life. I felt so alone like no one cares. And I thought, maybe I, maybe I need to go to church and give God one more chance. And she said, if you can remember my name, then I know that God knows my name and he cares about me. That's the kind of thing that can happen in a flock. See, Southwinds, this is all because we have a good shepherd and he is so good so good. He knows everything about us, and yet he still lays down his life for us. He loves us freely because he wants to love us. No one is forcing him to. He's a good shepherd. You know, we, we don't know how, how long this coronavirus crisis is going to last. We, we don't know how many people are going to get sick, how many people will die. We, we, don't, we don't know if we'll have our jobs when it's over or we're going to lose our jobs. We don't know. But, but the good shepherd, he knows. And he cares. He cares for us. And we can know that because he tells us that. The, the good shepherd knows us and cares for us. And that means... That means that we can keep walking each day with the Good Shepherd through this season, through this valley of the shadow of death. And as we walk, we will not need to fear any evil because the Shepherd is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He laid down His life for us. And He is enough. He is enough. See, I, I pray that you know the Good Shepherd today, and if you don't, and maybe you're just not sure, I want to tell you that you can come to Him right now. You can meet Him, and you can begin a relationship with Him wherever you are. All, all you need to do is pray. You know, prayer is, is just talking to God, and Jesus says in His Word, if you want to know me, then you must repent, and you must believe. He says, repent of your sins. Turn from those sins. Admit to my Father that the way you've been living is wrong and you want to live a different way. You want to follow me. He says, and then believe in me. So you need to believe that I am God's Son, Jesus says. You need to believe that I died on the cross in your place for your sins. Believe that God has raised me from the dead, that I am alive today. Believe in me. Surrender your life to me. Now, if you want to do that, Maybe you have questions. Maybe you need some help taking that step. I want to encourage you, please get in touch with us. Please email any of our pastors. Call us on the phone. We will uh, uh, get back in touch with you. We can't meet with you in person right now, but we will call you. We will help you. We will do everything that we can. We are here to serve you.
we have a good shepherd. And he is so good. And he loves us more than we can imagine. I hope that you will live in his care and his love today. Thank you.